In a world that can be challenging and at times unpredictable, it's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level so you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up, that by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark with your host, Stephanie James, starts now. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Hoping that you are all doing well, really just sending out so much love and joy to each one of you, hoping that you're keeping your hearts and minds open and that you are ready to learn something really important tonight, because tonight we have a really special guest, Jamin Frazier. And Jamin, I love this. Not only is he an author and TEDx speaker, he's a founder of the Insecurity Project, and he's one of Australia's best life coaches. And I met Jamin at an NSA convention in Nashville about a month ago, and what an absolute delight. Jamin, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show tonight. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real treat to be here. So Jamin is chatting with us from Australia. Where are you in Australia? Uh, a, little, a little town called Goulburn in between Canberra and Sydney on the eastern side of Australia. Oh, I love it. Love it. Well, Jamin was one of these people who stood out to me right away, not just because he's got this awesome Australian accent, <laughs> but, but this amazing contagious energy. And just your integrity and honesty as you went up and asked a question, I think, during one of the first sessions in front of everyone um, and really talk about dealing with insecurity. So you, you kind of you know, are setting an example by stepping up and stepping through insecurities. What a huge topic. Tell me what got you interested in the insecurity project. Uh, look, I, th I think it was firstly to discover a mountain of my own insecurity when I stepped beyond uh, the safe world that I'd grown up in. I, I was a, I grew up in a Christian home and eventually became a Christian pastor. I was a, a pastor for 10 years, got given the leadership of the church that I grew up in when I was 23. Um, loved that. I was very wholehearted about it, felt called to it. It was very meaningful work. Um, but as I continue to be curious as a human being and understand more about myself and the world and, um, and then got introduced to some coaching frames, it, it, just, it just really enlarged my world. And I was so curious about how to make a change in the world beyond the safe and known comfortable space that I grew, grew up in. And so I stepped out and um, was so excited about exploring the world and then started to put myself out there and realized, oh my goodness, uh, this is not the safe world that I grew up in. No one knows me here. I have no status here. I'm no one here. Uh, what if I'm going to be found out as a, as a fake, as a fraud? I, I've got no substance. You know, this is going to be a disaster. And so I, I discovered that all this energy and passion wasn't enough to carry me forward. I, I had this fear that I didn't even know it was there. So, um, so firstly, my, 
I just felt like I only had two choices at that point. I could um, just retreat back to what I'd known, um, find safety there, or I could see if this problem was solvable. I, I wasn't interested in managing insecurity. That didn't seem like a believable plan. It's solve it or forget about it. And so that was my quest um, for the next little while, just to go and go into the world and see had anyone in my opinion, shown up without insecurity? Had they found a way through this? It seemed like a very common problem, um, not one I'd thought much about before then, but I was curious to see who, who'd solved it. And it seemed like there were, there were a number of people that I found that had found the way through the other side, were showing up with nothing to prove and nothing to defend. And so I've kind of got a real engineering bent to my brain. I love to know how things work. And so I just kind of deconstructed their process, got curious around how they did that and, and it seemed that although people had found a way to be um, unhindered by insecurity, no one had modeled that. So that became my journey to model it firstly for myself to see how it was possible. Uh, and then out of the overflow of that to, to be useful to others. But uh, yeah, then, then my coaching journey, just um, this real intention to be useful to people. I quickly found that if I was just dealing with behavior and behavior management strategies, there was no lasting change in those conversations. So to be really useful, I had to go deeper into the world of beliefs and, and people were stuck in the same place I was stuck. That was stuck in the doubts, fears, insecurities, the limiting beliefs. So I knew if I could hone my skill set around being useful there, then, then I could facilitate transformation. So that's, I, and now soon I got ruined to talk about anything else. It was just like, oh, well, all roads keep leading back to Rome. Um, uh, and it would feel unkind now to, to hold back if I feel that this is a solvable problem then I better keep talking about it. Yeah, I love that. And I want to show, this is Jamin's new book, Unhindered, and it's the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. Such an awesome book. And I'm just inviting everyone to get it. Um, this is from your research. This is really from your own personal exploration because we all have insecurities. I think that's something important to acknowledge that people don't want to have insecurities. And, yeah. and you have this, this line in the book that says, you know, we want to like mask, medicate, or manage our insecurities. And we really just have to overcome them. Yeah, there are not too many people that agree with me about this, but I'm, I'm convinced it's a solvable problem and, and not only can we solve it, I really think we must. I think it's our most important adult work is to free ourselves from the narratives we've created for ourselves, the boundaries we've set up, the, the assumptions, the opinions and the stories we've told that have, that have capped our experience because they don't just weaken us as humans, they weaken how we show up. So therefore they rob the world of, of our essence and our gift. So I think it's very, very important that we've, find a way to actually overcome insecurity, not just manage it. So it's a, it's a real theme of the insecurity project work. Well, and it resonates with me so much, Jamin, because that's such a, a thing for me is wanting to help people become as clear of a conduit as possible so yeah, they can beautiful. bring their light and their love and their, mm. you know, their, their own healing through to the rest of the world. And like you're saying, when we're, you know, really covered up with all these insecurities, we don't let that light of who we truly are shine. We're not able to really share our gifts with the world. Yeah, that's, that's so true. You know, growing up in a very spiritual 
world, I observed that a lot of the time people's spirituality was an attempt to escape their humanity. Um, and, and then it got weird. So whether it showed up in the church as, you know, really super spiritual people uh, or then not, not even religious forms, there are some people that are, are very spiritual, um, but they haven't worked out how to be human. And so to me, if your spirituality is an escape, then it's actually no value to you here. I'm convinced that the aim is to work at how to be a human first and then to include and transcend that because otherwise you're not a clear conduit. You're you're weird. You're strange. You're dysfunctional. You still bring ego. You actually create more chaos for people. You don't bring light and love. So um, resolve that insecurity and then there's nothing to prove and nothing to defend and then you're free to have a very spiritual experience of life in, in a way that's beautiful and actually does good in the world. Yeah. Wonderful. Because I think that that's, that's what I'm hearing from you is that, and I know these people as well that do what, what I term a spiritual bypass. Oh, well, yeah. Right. So they, they bypass the earthly problems or their own, you know, like you're saying insecurities, limiting beliefs, yeah. how they're showing up with other people. So it's a spiritual bypass. Oh, I'm spiritual. So I don't have to yes. do this work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so I love, it's like, yeah, I've, I've never had that paradigm before. Like, let's do our work first. Let's become the best that we can be. And then the spiritual as an add-in, as a, you know, as a part of that, that enhances and transcends who we are. Yeah. That's Ken Wilber's line, include and transcend. That's been really useful for me because I think, yeah, that, that makes sense. Work this first, include it. You are a human. That's how you, that's this, the central vehicle the form so include that and then go beyond that into the spiritual world beautiful you know jamin so what what did you find what creates insecurity in people well i think it's universal and unavoidable you know we are sense-making creatures we go into the world and we have experiences but we have to decide what they mean so um the challenge is we have this this sense-making consciousness turned on at a very very young age so that's, that's a dilemma because a child is experiencing adult problems through their childish frame and they are trying to work out what it means. And, and so they have disappointments, they have heartache, they have pain, they have frustration, and they watch themselves have these experiences and they personalize. Why is this happening? What does it mean about me? Well, it seems that this is a reflection of me because I'm getting bullied, but I can't see anyone else getting bullied or my parents are getting divorced, but I can't see anyone else's or everyone else got a bike for Christmas, but I didn't. So this must be about me. So I think it's, it's unavoidable that, you know, even perfect parents don't prevent their child from having moments of disappointment or pain or heartache and just the sense-making paradigm of a child. And it just makes sense. This looks like it's about me. And then you double down on those assumptions and those opinions uh, form agreements with words that that limit you and then live as though that's true and and these narratives become truth they become concrete and often go unreviewed for the rest of a person's life which is the most extraordinary thing about insecurity it's never real like it's a work of fiction but the moment you double down on it and reinforce it it's as though it's true and then becomes a prison you can't break out of and that makes so much sense to me because i've always said you know, what I understand it's believing is seeing, not yeah. seeing is believing. And, it, and it's the way that our brains work, right? So that if, if we have a belief and it does happen, I think the first seven years of life, I think they That's say right. we're in, you know, theta brainwave state. So yeah, we're just yeah. 
little sponges and we're absorbing everyone's ideas or thoughts. And if someone's like, you're a bad kid or you don't do this well, then we go, oh, that must be the truth. And then the way our brain works, it's always scanning the environment for evidence that proves that belief. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's, it's very natural. It's inherent to who we are. No matter how awesome, like you said, our parents are, I think nobody gets out of childhood unscathed. And we pick up these insecurities. So talk a little bit, what, you know, let's talk about the formula, if you will. Mm. How do we start dealing with insecurities? And maybe how do we first, Jamin, how do we even identify what our insecurities are? Like, like you said, sometimes it's below the radar. We don't even know. Yeah. We have this. Well, it often is. And I, I'm, I rarely speak to people who are under 35 about this, interestingly, because, um, it's too costly a lot of the time to examine what's beneath the surface. People are insecure about being insecure. And so you're just trying to fight and force your way forward when you're young. You don't really want to stop and review too much um, in, in general. But midlife, people are often open for a review because, you know, 40 is an arbitrary milestone a lot of the times and they're, they're thinking, I'm getting closer and I haven't sorted out this. This is not the picture I had in my mind. So what's what's not working? What, what am I not um, I love Mark Manson's idea that all change is preceded by being wrong about something. So I think there's a window of opportunity to be wrong and that leads a curious path back into, okay, uh, what's actually happening here. Um, but in terms of the formula for how you solve it, once you start to f- feel that there is actually some, some fear and that's driving you, um, it's to be clear about what that fear actually is. So practice one is to step into the light Yoda's wisdom is named must your fear be before banish it you can so I think practice one is all around real precision and often when I talk to people about fear it's very abstract in their language and in their experience it's it's out there it's a monster they've got language like the imposter syndrome which is not here it's it's there it's something happening to me that I can't control Um, or it's the fear of failure or the fear of rejection which Sounds really honest, but it isn't actually a thing. No one's actually afraid of failing. They're afraid of the personal implications of failing. You know, or they're not afraid of rejection either. That's not, no one in the world is afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of if they were to be rejected, what does that reveal about them? They're afraid of the personal implication. So keep going clearer and clearer about what are you actually afraid of? And you realize you're afraid of your own opinion. That's what you've been afraid of, not someone else's opinion. You're afraid of what you think about you. And to frame it like that automatically means we're getting, this is becoming a solvable problem because opinions are the lowest form of knowing anything. And so therefore the easiest thing to change. Um, And then if you really, really want to get precise, like you said, naught to seven, we've made up our mind about all our most important opinions by then. So you are dealing with the opinion of a scared child and, that child thought they were right and you've just never gone back and reviewed their sense-making paradigm. So you're dealing with the opinion of a kindergartner. Like that's what this is all about. And, and kindergartners are not right about anything, not a single thing. Are they right about even, even the best things, you know, they're not right. Um, So very solvable. The moment you get precise around what the problem really is. That is so powerful. You know, as as a psychotherapist and a transformation coach, I work with people a lot on that. There's this mnemonic device that naming is taming. 
Right. Yeah. So if you have anxiety, I love this. And if you have fear, first of all, it's naming it. What is the fear? And then really being able to go deeper and dissect it. So you're getting to what the essence is. I have never heard that before, Jamin. I absolutely love it that it's our mm. opinion about ourselves. Mm. It's how we, we we project it on others, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what you're saying. It's like, oh, that person will think that of me or that person might reject me. It's uh, it's actually, how am I going to feel when I look in the mirror tonight? That's that's right. And it's like they will just confirm my opinion of myself. This opinion I've always felt that's lurked there. It's just going to be confirmed if I fail or, or are rejected. But if there's nothing to confirm, then no one has any power out there. Like you are afraid of what you think about you. And when you really examine that, you, you created these opinions in moments of childish um, sense-making, just, just trying to work out why is this happening? What does it mean about you? So to be precise and name the fear, you go back, you realize this is very easily a solvable problem. And do you find that when people are able to identify like, wow, that really is my five-year-old or my mm. six-year-old speaking, are they able then to kind of rewrite that belief or rewind and redo that belief? Yeah. Well, you know, practice seven is to rewrite the story and often people want to rush straight there. They go, oh, great. I get it. So some affirmations on my mirror, um, you know, just be, be kind to myself, write new opinions. Excellent. And look, don't let me stop you. If that's what you know, listeners, if that's what you'd like to do, go nuts. Um, my experience with helping people deal with this is you've actually got to fully deconstruct the old story first. Yeah. And it's well rehearsed. You've got gathered a lot of evidence over that. A lot of energy and resources has been going to substantiate and confirm that that story. So you feel like it's real. You can't just dismiss it. Um, and you can't rescue that child from a distance either, which is often a trap I see people attempt. They they kind of go, oh, yeah, that six-year-old, yeah, yeah, it wasn't about you. Don't worry about it. You know, that's clearly not true. Let it go, move on, and we're just going to start again here. You know, again, the problem is that six-year-old or five-year-old, they really were in a lot of pain and, and experienced that um, moment very painfully. And so they're not easily convinced that they're not right. You're going to have to go validate their experience and enter into their pain and sit with them a while um, before coaching them out of that. So th there's some work to do in terms of going back and, and being present in that and, and revisiting and reframing and... Uh, understanding the mechanics of what actually went down there before you can change it. But yeah, obviously the end is you, yeah, you created that first opinion. You've always had the pen. You're not the actor in this story or the storyteller. So um, you can update this as soon as you're ready. Uh, but to do that, you can't just patch a new story over the top of an old story. You'll have to deconstruct, make the first story um, meaningless, uh, have no sense before you can then have a clean slate to write a new and beautiful story. Yeah, it's just like the spiritual bypass. You don't want to just do a bypass That's, on your child, right? No, you it's, don't. And the way I, I frame it is we don't get to just flip a switch and then, you know, this 30 or 40 years of this belief is yeah. all of a sudden, you know, in a light switch flip gone. Mm. So going and deconstructing, let's talk a little bit about this 100% responsibility. Mm. What, what does it mean to you to take 100% responsibility for, for how you're feeling, your beliefs? Yeah, sure. Well, that's practice too. And, and the real subtlety around that is it's more than take responsibility. It's to realize you already are responsible. So I love the work of Don Miguel Ruiz 
you know, the four agreements. So that, that book is stunning. It is a book of wisdom as the subtitle suggests. Uh, and he just says, look, you know, no one actually had the power to bless you or curse you. It's not the words spoken to that ruined your life or, or blessed your life. It's just the ones that you agreed with. So you're implicit in your experience of life. And if you can break through the misdirection of what actually ruined you or, or built you when you were young, then that's where the power is. Because once people start saying, yeah, yeah, there's an opinion problem. I get it. That makes sense to me. I know where that came from now. You know, my dad, he was really, you know, unkind and not very present or my, my teachers were always critical of me or I got bullied or yeah, it makes sense. I understand. Or I, I know what was modeled to me or um, the experience that I saw. So yeah, I get why I formed these opinions. Um, but it's still to position yourself as a victim in that world at, at effect it doesn't really give you any extra advantage because it is what it is. It did happen. What am I supposed to do other than mask manage or medicate this? Uh, but when you break through the misdirection and realize, no, no, um, as you experience those, you agreed with words, um, you formed opinions. So you were at the center of the action not to blame you, and it may have seemed like you had no other choice, but just to be very clear about the mechanics of who did what. Um, it wasn't your dad that said you were stupid that made you feel stupid. It was when he said it, you decided. He knows things. He must be telling the truth. Um, it's interesting too because often people feel more like the negative words have more powerful influence than the positive words. Um, but it's a good example to realize the mechanics of how our life is transformed by words, because I'm sure everyone's mum has said, oh, you're awesome. You're beautiful. You're lovely. You can do anything. And you're like, oh, that's just my mum. Like, yeah, so you don't agree with those words. But then someone says, you're no good. You're annoying. You're silly. You're weird. You're like, oh, they must be telling the truth. So it's not the words, just the ones we agree with. So when you kind of see that, you realize, ah, oh, I've always been responsible. I've always had the pen this is my script so if it's my script well then i already know how to tell stories i've been doing it my whole life this is work that i can do i i am capable of updating this when i'm ready so i, I like that distinction you are responsible more than just take responsibility yeah yeah i mean truly i mean what a point of power to realize yes. that we don't have to blame everyone else. And so we're trying to fix it through someone else or some other relationship. And so, you know, I've, I've heard the expression before that if you're pointing a finger at someone, there's three other ones pointing back at you. Right. And it's like, again, not to be in this, you know, self abusive type relationship with no, yourself. Right. It's, it's a powerful coming to terms with, wow, if I'm the one that created this, I can recreate this. It's, it's everything. And I heard Tim Ferriss, uh, I don't know if you listen to his podcast at all, but he did an episode about his sexual abuse experience and he had one of his friends talk about her sexual abuse experience. And um, I was very interested, you know, it was a very vulnerable thing for them both to do. That was their first time they'd spoken publicly about it. Um, but I was just, I was so horrified by their approach of the subject because here's two of the most influential people on one of the world's biggest podcasts talking about, okay, so what do you do once you've identified this and their, their story? Um, you know, Tim's path to healing was, was through psychedelic drugs, which um, sure, fine. But for most of the population, that's off, that's off the table. They're not, that's not the path they're going to choose. Um, yeah. His friend's path to healing was 30 years of therapy daily, uh, and and her comment was there's probably another 30 years left and so 
again, like who's got the time and money or the inclination to spend daily visits to a therapist? It's like, that's too hard. That's just, just, of course, now you're going to believe it is what it is. You can't change this. Uh, and so, you know, people come to me all the time going, you know, Jamin, you're a coach, you're not a therapist. So is there stuff you can't touch or you won't touch? I'm like, never, not once, because there is no, there is no subject that actually really ruined a person's life. In every case, the mechanics of what went wrong was in the painful experience. The individual there decided the reason it was happening was, was because of them. So it wasn't the abuse. It was not. And not saying it was fun, not saying you would want wish that on anyone, but that was not what ruined your life. It was your decision around why, why is this happening and doubling down on that. And so this responsibility piece is just, it is power. It's like you can overcome whatever you've come through, whatever difficulty or, or horrible situation you've endured, you are able to rewrite the script because you wrote the script the first time. You know, this is such powerful stuff. And I want to make sure that we're clarifying for people that we're not saying that it was ever okay that abuse or horrible things happened and very clearly it's not your fault. Of course. You know, I and and that, you know, lots of people I've I've worked with so many people that have been in abusive situations. And as a trauma specialist the last 15 years, I've definitely worked with those folks. So I think you know, acknowledging, yes, boy, I mean, the most incredible difficulties and yet the light that I'm hearing, mm. you know, this amazing piece is that when we say, okay, everything, the way that I responded, the way I integrated that, the belief system that I set up, mm. yeah, it's not okay that this happened and it happened and I made meaning out of it because that's how our brain works. We make meaning out of things and we personalize it. And so as you were speaking, you know, about the four agreements, one of Don Miguel Ruiz's agreements is don't take anything personally. Mm. And so that's a really powerful piece in this is that I'm hearing, wow, we can really actually use this when we take 100% responsibility for what's happened and moving forward. That's how we can change our lives. Yeah, that's right. Because the subtext on don't take anything personally, which sounds a bit cliched, is like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to take things personally, but it sure feels personal. Mm-hmm. But the subheading is, yeah, because it's not about you. It, it was never about you. So yeah. you made it about you, uh, yeah. but you, you didn't have to. So that's the way out. Yeah, so that's practice two, the responsibility. Love it. So we're going to need to take a really quick break. But when we come back, more of this amazing, really amazing practice, I think it's essential for everyone. And again, the book is Unhindered, excuse me, Unhindered, The Seven Essential Practices for Overcoming Insecurity. My goodness, we all need this. So join us. I'll be right back on The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life. This is Stephanie James. I'm excited to bring to you my new film, When Sparks Ignite, available on the More You channel on Plex Network. It's about the difficult times and the challenges that we face and how they can actually become the match points that ignite something within us that becomes our gift to the world. And pick up a copy of my new book, Becoming Fierce, Creating a Bold and Beautiful Life, available at bookstores everywhere. To find a trailer for the film and more information out about the book, 
go to stephaniejames.world. Ignite your best life. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. So happy to have you here with us. I am just so thrilled at the response and your wonderful emails. Thank you so much for the emails around the film, my new film that's out when sparks ignite on Plex Network on the More You channel. Still available Friday nights. You can download Plex for free. It's Fridays at 8 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock Mountain Central time. You go to the More You channel and you just click on Watch Now. And you'll be able to see the film When Sparks Ignite, which is about the challenges and difficulties we face and how those can become the match point that ignites something within us that becomes our gift to the world. So join me and 11 other inspirational thought leaders and change makers from around the world as we come together and truly bring to point how your healing matters. So thank you so much for joining us here tonight. My very special guest is Jamin Frazier, and we are talking about his new book, Unhindered. And it is so amazing because it's dealing with the topic of insecurity, which is something I think we struggle with, whether you are president of the United States or whether you're digging a ditch or whether you, you know, are, are speaking on TV, there, there's insecurities in all of us and it's how do we overcome it so it's not tamping down the light and the gifts we have inside of us. So Jamin, tell us a little bit. I, I asked you during break if, if you'd be willing to share a personal story of yours and how you have overcome an insecurity. Can you, can you share one of those stories with us? Yeah, for sure. So a, a key distinction in, in this model around overcoming insecurity, you know, people ask me all the time, is it possible to actually solve this? Like, is that even a real thing? And, and what do you mean for all time? Uh, so my distinction is not only can you, but you must. It's your most important adult work to free yourself from the narratives of your childhood that would put a cap on your experience um, and to show up here at your current level of growth, present and unguarded, like with nothing to prove, nothing to defend and able to be at your best where it matters most. That's the aim, to be here, fully here. Um, but as you do that, you'll, you'll be inclined to explore new horizons and take new territory and enlarge your experience of life and therefore experience new uncertainties and then bang your head on new insecurities, things that weren't limiting you at the last level of growth, but are now limiting you there. So I still, so my distinction is, have I solved it? Yes, a hundred percent. I'm not insecure. There's no insecurity that weakens me. There's no imposter syndrome. There's no, Oh my goodness. I don't belong. I can't do this. No, I do. I'm wholehearted. Um, but then my world keeps getting bigger and I do find narratives that, that are subtle and that show up. So, so just, just uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I had this reoccurring dream of having no pants on. Um, you know, it's a bit of a theme. Some people have dreams like that, but this has been one that had plagued me for some time actually. And it was this, uh, you know, I thought I was prepared going to somewhere important only to find embarrassingly got no pants on. Um, you know, horrible experience to have this dream. And so when I, when I explored this within myself, what's this about? And there was a really interesting conversation happening about the fact that I was still showing up to some new experiences like the boy, like I didn't know what I was doing, like I needed to think more about my message, that I was probably wrong, 
that others knew better than me. And, and so I was showing up as a student weak on the back foot, unprepared. That's how I was showing up. Like I had no pants on and I was about to be exposed. <laughs> and so that was curious to me because I'm like, wow, that, I don't think about that consciously, but obviously in some new growth areas, bigger spaces I'm playing in, I'm still showing up like that. And so I, I explored some agreements I'd made in my past around um, not being a know-it-all, not being arrogant. You know, to be a good person, I'll be a humble person. You know, I can't handle, I'm not, I'm not capable of handling truth. I, I need to always defer to others, um, never draw attention to myself. That's how I be a good person because I, I can't handle, you know, the, the limelight really. So I made that agreement when I was young. It was kind of something that, you know, conversations with my dad, I think that was something that he'd agreed with too. And so that made sense to me. So I made an agreement that I hadn't even seen it cap my experience. Um, and so to go back and review that agreement, update that agreement, and then double down on the fact that um, in this season of my life, I'm not running any more experiments about insecurity. I've experimented for, for 20 years um, in every way, shape, and form. I have gathered enough data to know what I know about this now. So, um, okay, show up and know what I know, speak what I know, and, and the moment I, I do that, the dream disappears. It's like, cool, great. You are prepared. You are a big boy. You do have your pants on. Uh, you, do, you are speaking out of something embodied and true and real. There is no need to be insecure about this. You've got this. Um, so that was my most recent experience of uh, uncovering and reframing insecurity. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that because it's so recent, you know, and so yeah. real. And, and I think it also to your point, it's not that we never experience insecurity again. It sounds like when it pops up, then we're able to address it. And for me, Jamin, I always think about us, you know, we're like nature and nature is always moving towards healing. Mm. So as we get to these bigger arenas, so to speak, as we're expanding, whatever is unhealed within us, or I would might say anything unlike love comes yeah. up for the purpose of being healed. So the dream was revealing to you, oh, yeah, there's this Absolutely. little boy who still has this agreement. And because these things are so subtle or they've been subconscious or unconscious, it's not until we reach this certain level, okay, now I'm feeling more safe. I'm feeling more expanded in the world. Now there's room for what's not that to come up. Has that been your experience? With that, exactly. And it's an important distinction to make because often when people have done work on this and then see insecurity show up again, the temptation is to, is to see that as regression. Oh, no, it's still there. I thought I solved this. I thought I was already healed. That must have been I didn't do it properly, which means I've failed at the process, which means this was a waste of time. Like, no, no, you did it very effectively at the level of growth and then you've grown. So this is evidence of growth and progress. Keep doing it. Same practices that got you free and healed the last time. They'll work again at the next time. Well, and you met my partner, Morgan, at the NSA yes. event. And that's one of the things he said to me when we were first together. And if something would come up for me, he'd say, oh, what a blessing. Mm -hmm. And at first I didn't get it. You know, I was kind of like, this doesn't feel like a blessing. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling <laughs> anxious right now. Um, and what I really started getting is, oh, that's it. Right. If we do have a trigger or we do have one of these things come up, it's a blessing because it's what's unhealed within us yeah, and it's absolutely. coming up for that purpose. And it's at a different level. I love how you shared that with your client. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit more about these steps and the practices in your book. 
Yeah, we don't we don't have to go through each one of them, but sure. I mean, well, but just, there's uh, so many gems in here that yeah, what, what, what a, feels important? A quick summary. So, um, practice three is to stack the pain, and um, that is important because in my discovery, no one had ever solved the insecurity problem um, except from a place of great pain. So, pain's a very loving and honest voice, and most people want to turn pain off. Um, but pain is designed to protect us from further pain. So you put your hand on the fire. It's actually supposed to hurt. You feel bad about yourself. That's supposed to feel bad. That That is a message to do something. So to stack the pain is to do an accurate cost assessment of these unresolved opinions, these agreements from your past, these unhealed wounds. How are they actually costing you as an adult in the real world? It's easy to pretend there's no cost or just, ah, oh, this is, it is what it is. But to get eyes on the actual cost, drives up a, a massive amount of pain but also massive amount of motivation to go cool well then i must i must go on a journey uh, back and to examine these things um, most people have got a lot of pain linked to self-awareness and exploration and going back um, but if the pain of being here now is higher than the pain of change well then cool you, you've got to go um, so that's three four is the other side of motivation anthony robbins talks about this really well um, you know, yeah, be clear about what you don't want and what you're moving away from, but what are you moving towards? So what do you want? What's the dream? What's the compelling vision? Um, without that, this all gets way too hard very soon. I, I, I do love the hero's journey. It's a very beautiful metaphor and maps the personal development journey very, very closely. And so, you know, the hero's always got to have a quest. And if Frodo's not compelled to rid the world of the ring, what's he doing risking his life every day getting attacked by orcs? Like it just doesn't make sense. So if you're not in touch with this desire for meaning and and fulfillment and, and happiness, if you've really suppressed that and haven't revisited that, what's the point of wading back into difficult things? Um you you won't you you'll run out of steam very quickly. So that is that makes the list of essential practices. And and then just the other one to highlight is that is maybe the most, uh, you know, uh, it, it creates a bit of cognitive dissonance when I mention practice five, because it's, it's to get help from someone who doesn't care about you. So, you know, the tendency is to want someone when you're ready to have someone involved, you're going to want someone who's going to believe in you and care in you and encourage you and support you Um but in my opinion, those people get in the way because they confuse you about who the hero is. So no one's coming to save you. You know, you created this mess and you're the only one who can who can heal it. Um, you will need help though. You'll need help from a person who knows the way, uh, who has embodied the way, who can give you the steps and then bugger off out of the way so that they don't weaken you Um so there's always a there's always a Gandalf, a Yoda, a Dumbledore. There's a wisdom character that shows up when you're ready with with the tools, with the path, and you'll think they're the hero, um, but they're always gone too soon, and you've still got to go fight the dragon and face the the trial. So uh, that one's a very important piece of the puzzle. Well, and I think what you said is so essential because I know when I read that title, I was like someone that doesn't care about you. And, and so it's, it's not, I, and I love that because it, it's a detached person who doesn't have an invested interest in one way or the other. I mean, they want you to get better. Obviously they care about you. They want you to succeed and they don't care as far as like, I love how you said that. Cause sometimes it's our family and our best friends 
that actually unintentionally can kind of keep us at a lower vibration or a lower level. Mm. Sometimes, you know, it's even out of their own fears. Like, I want to do this for your own good, you know, or, oh, you know, I, I know that uh, you, you are worried about your weight. So I'm going to tell you, you look fine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's all well-intentioned but and unavoidable. Friends and family, they do have agenda. They do want for you. They do mm. care about you, but they're not going to be the ones that are going to help you transform. That just, it will get in the way because the, the key distinction in that one is in order to really become precise, do practice one, to step into the light, um, you require the safety to, be, to tell the truth. So you can't do judgment and awareness at the same time. And the subtle forms of judgment are positive. They're wanting. You know, if, if you talk to someone who wants you to be well, well, you can't tell them if you're not doing well. You'll disappoint them. You'll upset them. So you've got to give the right answer, not the true answer. So you can't afford to fully shine the light in case you implicate yourself and you upset them. So now you're just playing a game. So I tell people, look, you can't confuse me for someone who cares. Like, I know I look like a guy who cares, um, but I won't lose any sleep over you. I'll forget your name. Um, and and it's very disconcerting for people. And I I do I do say, look, clearly I, I care about people, obviously. Like, this is what I was born to do and I do wholeheartedly. I just wouldn't dare bring that into this space because the moment I do, I weaken you and I get in your way and I stop serving you. Now it's about me being the rescuer. So, like... I, I will be very clear about you. You are responsible for your own journey. You will need some tools. We all need help along the way, but the right help in the right way is very, very important. And I love how you say, and then booger off. <laughs> <laughs> so that that person can incorporate and assimilate the tools you gave them and complete their own journey. That's right. And people always feel like I bugger off too soon. Like, wait, what? What do you mean? No, 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 I'm not ready. Like, mm, yes, we've had all the conversations. Yes, the theory's done. You have to go live this in, in the world and just go watch Lord of the Rings or go watch some hero's journey movie to go, this is, the, this is how it must be. You must feel like you are unprepared for this. But you'll discover you're stronger than you think. You'll discover you've actually got this. Um, and if I stay longer, I will keep con- I'll just keep confusing you about who the hero is and you'll keep deferring to someone else's wisdom or judgment. So off you go. (laughs) Love it. Love it. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, rewriting the story, which is, which is the end, you know, when we rewrite the story, I kind of jumped into that right away. Um, And essentially that's what we're doing through this process. Yeah, it is. And, and it's beautiful work and meaningful work. I, I like the distinction around creating some inertia around that new story for a short amount of time. So just like the old story became default because you rehearsed it probably unconsciously and doubled down on it. So too, when you write a new story, just writing it once, even though that becomes true and you align to it, you actually will need to reinforce it for a little bit of time after that discovery. Um, the old neural pathways probably still exist, even though you've deconstructed the story, there's still triggers that could make you think that that was real and go down that path. So um, for a little while, I, I think maybe even two or three weeks, just some repetition around that story and the opportunity to course correct and come back and remind yourself, hang on, what's true again? Who am I again? What, how, how does this work for me? What am I agreeing with? So Every time I've done this this work and, you know, the numerous times I've updated stories, I, I have a, a water tank on my property 
and that's built into the hill so I can walk on top of it. And so I, I wander around on that. And uh, I love, again, I think it was Anthony Robbins' distinction around affirmations. You, you have to say it until you agree with it and then until you feel it. Like that's the clicking in, that's the agreement piece. Words without agreement are, are nothing. So say it until you agree it, see it until you believe it um, or believe it until you see it. Um, however you you make that distinction so I wander around in my tank um, saying things that at first like it doesn't feel true it's like cool well it isn't true for you yet because you have no examples of this and no experience but you're the storyteller so if that's what you'd like to be true well then lock it in and and then begin with the end in mind and work your way backwards so um, I love I also love the distinction around most people live their life strategy state story so they get up in the morning and they dive into what they need to do based on whatever state they find themselves in with no awareness of the narrative that they're living out of. So it's a very ineffective way to do life. But if you can reverse the order, live story, state, strategy, wake up in the morning, you know, knowing you have the pen, doing any work around deconstructing old stories and then aligning yourself to new and compelling stories, then go prime your state and then go do work. Like that is an effective way to live as a human in fact, that'll give you a very unfair advantage in the world. I am so in alignment with you. And I just I just have this big grin on my face, Jamin, because <laughs> f- five years ago, um, I was gifted a trip to Anthony Robbins' Unleash the Power Within, which was wow. four days of immersion with him in New York. And, you know, I, it really did change things for me. And that priming video that he does is still available on YouTube. Mm, yeah. And it's from that actual event. And it's what you're saying. It's that essential. I love that you say that because it's priming ourselves. So heart, mind, body, soul, your breath, you know, getting your breath in alignment. And then what is the story that you're saying Mm. to yourself and bringing up what you want to be thinking about, remembering joy, thinking about what you want to create today, you know, and I, and I just think it's so powerful. I think I listened to that three months, every single morning. Yeah. Amazing. And it's and it really restructures those neural pathways so that we are disconnecting from our old story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't think like there when I do this, I feel like just some intensity for maybe three weeks and then it feels like it's solid. Mm-hmm. And it's not something I have to pay attention to consciously. It's not like I have to manage myself and constantly retell stories every moment of the day. Otherwise I'll drop back. It's like that's not how it works. Just enough reinforcement that creates inertia to go, cool. Now I find evidence for that in the world. That's all I'll see. I'll see that I'm delightful, that people enjoy my company, that I'm good at what I do. That'll be the evidence that I find. And so it'll be create, it'll create its own feedback loop um, that is very empowering. Well, and that's, you know, that's what the research is telling us, you know, 21 to 30 days for something to yeah. become a habit. How for great, sure. you know, really Absolutely. it's a short-term commitment for short-term big commitment. time exactly. gains. Yeah. So as we're getting ready to kind of wind down a little bit, Jamin, what is what is ahead for you? What is it that as you have overcome and dealt with your own insecurities, what's next for you? What's the next big challenge? Yeah, so I used to have language like I was on a mission to, you know, solve insecurity in the world. And and then I heard myself say that one time and I thought, ugh. I'm on a mission. Like no one wants to hear someone on a mission. Like they're preaching at them, like mm. ramming something down their throat. So it it kind of aligns to how I think about purpose too, because um, often what I see 
and hear in the world about people on a purpose journey. It's still about them. It's like, look at what I'm doing, validate me, love me, accept me because of the work that I'm doing in the world. So that doesn't feel like purpose to me. That feels like, you know, your purpose cannot be to prove that you matter. Like that's your work. That's your adult work. And then once you've done that, then you're free to connect with a purpose that's bigger than you and not even about you. So when I think about insecurity and, and the, the purpose piece, like I'm bored with talking about insecurity, I promise you. I talk about it all day, every day. When I'm, in, when I'm asleep, I'm still running workshops in my sleep. I hear myself run workshops real time. I'm having coaching conversations. I'm explaining the same concept, you know, thousands of times. Um, but it's too, too bad. Like it would be very unkind to stop talking about insecurity. It's what I was born to do. And so when I think about what's next, I go, well, it would be very unkind to not um, go to the highest parts of the world, the most influential parts. I, I dream of coaching presidents. I dream of consulting to the UN. I dream of you know, working with captains of industry, people who are making decisions that impact the world. You know, Our world leaders are deeply insecure and we suffer because they haven't done the work. You know, that was the question I asked at the conference. Have we done enough? You know, our world leaders, uh, have they evolved their consciousness? They're the ones pulling the levers, pressing the buttons, making decisions on this, the technology, the the climate issues, the economic crises, but they haven't done the work. And so we suffer. So I must uh, think about insecurity and solving it at that level. And so uh, writing, speaking, coaching, in in the in the biggest rooms in the highest places in the world that's what's next for me beautiful i love that i love that that just inspires me so much and i have no doubt that we're going to see you there jamin how can people get a hold of you and find out about your workshops and and do you do things that are also online so people even in other yeah. time zones or countries like like us can can that's access right, your yeah. wisdom yeah. yeah, well, you can find my podcast, The Insecurity Project. Uh, if you can spell my name, I'm the only Jamin Fraser in the world, as far as I can tell, so easy to find on the socials. Um, you can jump on my website, jaminfraser.com, and take uh, an insecurity test. So there, there are two tests, just a bit of fun uh, for people who are a bit nervous about exploring this, but find out where insecurity is costing you in your life and, and then where it's costing you in your business. Uh, and then you can access a range of books and then um, coaching stuff from that website as well. So great. This is, this is just so inspirational. And I just am so thankful that you're sharing all this wisdom with so many people, Jamin. Thank you for your gift and your light and for doing your own work and not bypassing it and just truly sharing this amazing content with the world. Thank you. Well, the same to you, Stephanie. Thank you. It was incredible meeting you and Morgan in Nashville. And uh, yeah, the work you're doing in the world too. Beautiful stuff. So thank you for having me.